podcast focused on lessons learned via the musician's backstory, as well as building successful careers in the business. My name is Allison M., and I'll be interviewing artists and industry experts and offering insights based on events Wisconsin Music Ventures has produced. Let's get down to business. This episode I have in the studio with me, Jared Judge, who runs Dream City Strings, Milwaukee's top wedding string quartet, and he is also the founder of Book Live that provides trainings and tools to help me, um, to help musicians book and play more private events. So welcome, Jared, to the studio. Thank you so much, Allison. Happy yeah. to be here. Yeah. Jared Judge, I've, I've always wanted to ask you, is that the, the name you were born with? It is. Yeah. It's such a cool name. Do you get that a lot? No. Uh, but I was an elementary school music teacher, and the principal was always like, here comes the judge. Here comes the judge. <laughs> it's a very easy to remember and say name, and that's just, I don't know, makes it very very good for business, right? Fair <laughs> I enough. Know. I think so. Anyways, but welcome, and, uh, you know, tell me uh, what, I guess, I, I always like to start off, at, at least lately, well, since I've been doing this, it's always been since COVID, but what have you been up to since COVID? Oh, good question. So since COVID, I've actually started taking on private students of musicians who are looking to, you know, really blow up their their private event business. Maybe they were kind of like me when I went to music school. They didn't teach us any of the marketing stuff that we needed. So mm-hmm. um, I've had people like, you know, people that you know personally mm-hmm. come to me and say, hey, we want to I want to do this with my music career. And now's the time because COVID is now finally ending. How do I do that? Mm-hmm. And so I launched a, a coaching program specifically for those people. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty awesome. Neat. And then the coaching program is that one on one, or is that um, online, or, or classroom kind of thing? It's one on one. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Because every musician has completely different goals, mm-hmm. and those are totally valid goals. But you need a different plan to execute different goals. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. What kinds of things do you talk about in the trainings? A lot of it is marketing. Mm-hmm. Actually, like that's kind of the big thing that. I had an epiphany of back when I was in grad school for music was the stuff they were teaching me in the classroom wasn't actually going to help me build a career in music. Mm-hmm. It's going to help me play for somebody else. And if I was lucky enough, I could win an audition. But this, the thing that I learned very early on was that if I didn't know how to market myself, I wasn't going to succeed. Mm-hmm. And so in our, in the private coachings that I've been working with a couple of my students with is we just drill on the marketing. What are the, fundamentals of marketing that they don't teach musicians in private lessons how do we put that on uh, put that out there for Mm -hmm. people to find and then how do you actually collect money for the services you're providing Mm -hmm. so that's been the bulk yeah what do you think the biggest um the biggest issue is that musicians could learn that they're not doing i would say it's just the first thing is i i believe that every single musician out there no matter how young, old, experienced, new, already has the skills necessary to, they already have the talent necessary to make a living from music. The thing that they're missing is is just focusing on who are you serving with that talent? Mm-hmm. So who is your quote unquote customer? You know, everything that we put out has a customer. Mm-hmm. And it's most of us don't really think of it that way. You know, we might think of people who listen to my streams on Spotify or people who, I don't know, buy my album. Those those are customers and they all have their own unique wants and desires. And, you know, they have fears. They they are people. Mm -hmm. And we don't think about them in that way as musicians. We're kind of more like focused on ourselves, which is great because I love practicing. I love getting better at my instrument. Who doesn't? Mm -hmm. It's so satisfying. The problem is if we don't think of who we serve, we don't think about who pays our bills, Mm -hmm. then we're kind of just stuck. We reach a plateau Mm -hmm. and we don't progress and it gets really frustrating. And honestly, I believe that is the reason why many musicians pursue it more as a hobby instead of as a career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and you've been classically trained um, similarly to myself, and we've, we've had a lot of discussions about this, but can you tell me about, um, I guess, well, let's, let's start at the beginning. Like, tell me how you got into music in the first place. Oh, for sure. All right, so 
back up when I was like five or six years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that far back? Is that <laughs> sure. Um, so my, my grandfather, I lived in Florida for a while, and I had a grandfather who I adored. I called him Pop-Up, mm-hmm. and he was kind of my inspiration for everything. I looked up to him, and my whole family did. You know, mm-hmm. he was that kind of person. He was a, a Navy vet. He was like a, he was our hero. Mm-hmm. And he very early on instilled in me a love of music. Like, he would always have music on in the car, and he'd ask me questions about it, like, did you hear that, or what did you notice about that? What did you like about that? Then he took me to a concert. Um, I don't remember who was playing, but it was a violinist. I was still, like, six at the time. And after that concert, like, while I was in that concert, I was, like, crying my eyes out because I just loved what I heard. And afterwards, in the car, I was, like, take, um, I was just talking about it so much, and I said, I loved the Zuki violin because mm-hmm. I didn't know that it was, like, Suzuki is a way of, of playing mm-hmm. and teaching violin. And so afterwards, when we got back home, I immediately ran to the medicine cabinet, grabbed two popsicle sticks, mm-hmm. put one on my shoulder, and started to pretend that I was playing the Zuki violin. <laughs> and my grandfather just encouraged that, and that led me to actually taking up violin in school. Wow. How old were you when you started that? I started when I was eight, so like mm-hmm. third, fourth grade. One of those like quarter size violins or whatever those are. Yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah, those are so cute. Yeah, that's awesome. And then you stuck with violin for quite a while? Yep. So I did that all throughout um, my public school education. Although, so I've, I also kind of like fell in love with my teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a really amazing human who taught us more than just about playing. He taught us about like, I don't know, being being a good person too. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was like the reason why I, I loved music so much was the teacher was just incredible. Yeah. And then when I got to my junior year in high school, unfortunately, he left to go to another district. And I was like, I don't know if orchestra is ever going to be the same Mm -hmm. again. So I actually dropped out, not of school, but I dropped out of orchestra, (laughs) switched to, um, I took a web design class instead of orchestra because I had that time in my schedule, which that was super helpful. But then I switched to band my senior year of high school Mm because I was like, I want to play the drums now. I'm, a, I'm in my, <laughs> my rebel phase. <laughs> nice. So that's when I like started playing percussion, not professionally, because in right, high school right. you're not a professional, but that set me down the path to getting my undergrad degree as a percussionist, actually. Okay, cool. So where did you go? So you, where, where did you grow up um, doing this, this training as a high schooler then? Uh, so I was for, I'm an East Coaster. Mm-hmm. I grew up in New Jersey. Okay. And then from New Jersey, where did you go? So from New Jersey, so while I was in high school, that's when I really like, you know, at first, my first love was violin. Mm -hmm. My second love was drums and percussion. Mm -hmm. And that actually was because of the Blue Man Group. Ah. So I don't know how I found them. It was probably one of those like commercials on TV. Mm -hmm. Do you remember those from the Mm -hmm. 90s? Mm -hmm. And I was like, that is so cool. And then I was like, I heard a commercial on the radio, like, come see Blue Man Group in New York City. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was like, I have to go. So I went to New York, um, saw my first Blue Man Group show, fell in love with just the the drumming of it. It was so, like, tribal, and it, it mm-hmm. rattled me to my core in a way. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I, like, really made the switch to percussion. Um, I actually auditioned for the Blue Man Group while in high school. Cool. They didn't accept me. <laughs> <laughs> How fun, though. What did they require for an audition? So uh, there was two parts to it. One was drumming, Mm -hmm. where I had to play patterns. Like, they would play something on a practice pad, and then they would ask me to play it back. And by that point, I was so obsessed with drumming, and I was in my school's marching band that I could do what they asked me to Mm -hmm. musically. The thing that uh, tripped me up was the actual acting audition. Yeah, yeah. Because I was never taught to act. I was never, like, on stage. I was below the stage playing in the pit orchestra. Right. And so they asked me to do some things, like... Pretend you're a kindergartner in your first day of school and then convince me that you need help with something by just using your eyes. Because like Blue Man mm, Group, they don't yeah. they don't speak. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'll try. And I probably looked like a complete fool. Mm-hmm. Um, afterwards, the casting director was like, yeah, you've got the drumming chomps, but go take a couple acting classes <laughs> and come back. Aww. Um, so anyway, that was a long-winded way of... Um, that's why I got so into percussion, and I wanted to go to a college that had a really good 
um, marching band because mm-hmm. that, that was the style of drumming that I liked. And so that's when I went to Penn State to march in their, their marching blue band. Cool, cool. What was that like? What was Penn State like to go to school at? Oh, it was insane. Uh, it was great. It was, I went to their campus, which had 40,000 undergrads, mm-hmm. huge campus, huge football culture, which, you know, I am like most musicians where I, at the time, didn't really like sports, gotten more into like Bucks basketball mm-hmm. lately. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't care that much about Penn State football. I cared that there was an amazing marching band that I could play mm-hmm. in. Um, Tag along with that football team. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like uh, when I made it into the band and we would go to the games, I wasn't watching the games. I was just enjoying the music and mm-hmm. hanging out with my friends. Mm-hmm. Just kind of a theme, right? Like as musicians, mm-hmm. we like playing the music and hanging out with our friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, and, and then at Penn State, you were studying music as, as you were studying percussion specifically. Yeah, music education. Okay. And we had to like declare a major mm-hmm. instrument. So for me, it was percussion. Mm-hmm. So, what was your favorite percussion instrument to play? Four mallet marimba. Yeah, yeah. nice. Kind of nice. like one of our friends, yeah. Mike Newmeyer, yeah, he does that sure. too. Yeah, now it's all starting to make sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. And then from where uh, you you went from Penn State to Milwaukee? Penn State, I moved back to New Jersey. Okay. Um, you know, as as a musician, it, finances were a little tight, mm-hmm. so I moved back in with my parents. Taught in the public schools for three years. Mm-hmm. I did two years of elementary everything music. Mm-hmm. Like I was on the ground with kindergartners singing and playing guitar. Mm-hmm. I was also starting fourth graders out on their first instruments, like mm-hmm. clarinet or trumpet or mm-hmm. whatever. And then I did it's the a very jam- humbling experience, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I learned a lot of patience for yes. sure. Yeah. It, I think, you know, that is, you know, from my teaching background too. Like if you ever want to learn the art of patience, become a music teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and then all of a sudden everything, every obstacle you have to <laughs> work through is like, yeah, I got this. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Would you, so uh, keep going up and let, let's hear more about your teaching. Okay. Um, yeah. So the elementary experience was great. Mm-hmm. I loved the kids. The mm-hmm. kids were great. I didn't necessarily love teaching the kids. Mm-hmm. Pa- like I had to teach them how to sit still and yeah, I, fundamental kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I love music, and the reason why I was teaching was because of music, not because of the kids. Mm-hmm. So when I um, after like in the middle of my second year, I got a job offer to go teach high school band, and so to me that was a more exciting way that I could pursue music. Um, a little bit more like dig in besides just hot cross buns. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. Um, I guess I, I can also share like around that time, I discovered locally that there were young opera singers. Like my, I went to um, my, sorry, <laughs> blanking out here, but my, uh, the school that I taught in was literally one town away from Westminster Choir College mm-hmm. in Princeton, New Jersey. And there was this group of young opera kids who they wanted to start their own opera company. Hmm. And they put an ad out on Craigslist saying like, hey, we're looking for just singers or people to help out. It's like, wait, I'm doing hot cross buns, but I could be working on opera. (laughs) And so I responded to that Craigslist ad and joined forces with them, which was kind of my first experience doing administration for an arts organization, which was super cool. Um, And that coincided with when I went to teach at a high school band, which that was an amazing experience, too. Yeah. So got a couple couple of things going on there. But ultimately, in the middle of that high school marching uh, high school experience, I got the call from UW-Milwaukee to -hmm. come study um, orchestra conducting at UWM. And I had to accept that. So nice, short, nice. short-lived high school band directing career. Yeah. So what made you decide to go into orchestra con- conducting after all of that? Well, it's kind of related to the opera thing. Mm-hmm. I have always loved orchestra. I've loved playing in orchestras, you know, ever since the Zuki violin experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's just something about orchestral music that, I don't know, it, I can, it, it affects me deep to my core. Mm-hmm. And I also recognize like when I was listening in high in my own high school experience when the Harry Potter movies first came out I would just spend hours obsessing listening to the soundtracks and I was like wait that's that's an oboe oh Mm -hmm. wait that oboe is playing with this clarinet line and they work together Mm -hmm. this way 
and I could like, I don't know, I really wanted to be a part of that music making process. Mm -hmm. And so for me, orchestra conducting um, was a way for me to like engage more deeply with that kind of music. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's, that's why I went to UWM. Awesome. And so what was it like at UW Milwaukee? And you, how, how many years were you, were you studying there? Uh, two years. Okay. And it was a good experience. Um, very high level teachers, high level musicians. Um, we, it was, it was good. I felt that when I went to UW Milwaukee, I was getting more of the same type of education that I got in my undergrad, mm -hmm. which again was very focused on my musical skills, mm -hmm. which is great if I'm going to be pursuing auditions or to mm -hmm. work for somebody else. And the problem was I was used to a very cushy, like I have a public school teaching job and the income is coming in every month and this is wonderful. But when I went to UW-Milwaukee, um, the income was no longer there and I had rent to pay because I wasn't living with my parents mm -hmm. and I didn't want to eat ramen all the time. <laughs> but my music, the classes I was taking, they weren't teaching me how do I go and make a living right now. Mm -hmm. They were just teaching me, like, hey, if you have an audition coming up, here's how to prepare. Mm -hmm. And so that was really the impetus for why I started Dream City Strings mm -hmm. was I wanted to pay my bills. I wanted gigs. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted more performing opportunities than just two concerts every year for school orchestra. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you started Dream City Strings while you were studying music at UW-Milwaukee. Was that uh, during your first year there? Yeah, it was about the end of the first year there, where I was like, hey, we just had a whole year of playing orchestra together. Like, I really love playing with all of you guys. Mm -hmm. We should try to get gigs. Mm -hmm. and, and, so you'd, uh, and so what is the model of Dream City Strings? So it started out as just your standard string quartet. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of stories that went into like how that was created, but it started at just the core four of us. Um, and we were gonna play weddings. So I had back, I, I skipped a little bit of the story, but back when I was back in New Jersey, I was pursuing a lot of musical opportunities on Craigslist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so in addition to finding that opera company, there was also a wedding group that was looking for a substitute violinist. And I was like, oh, I've never really played weddings before. This could be fun. And so I did, and my first gig paid me 200 bucks, and I was like, playing really easy music. Mm -hmm. It's like, holy crap, 200 bucks to just play for an hour? That mm -hmm. sounds awesome to me. So when I got to grad school and we just finished up year one, I was like, hey, I played for this wedding group in New Jersey. What if we did something similar in Wisconsin? And so the model was, you know, four-string quartet, let's, um, let's go get some weddings. And then ultimately, it has evolved over the years to being like we've got over 50 string players in Wisconsin, and we can handle up to seven gigs at one time. Mm -hmm. But it, it really started out very small and very intimate. And I don't think it could have worked any other way to start. Yeah, that's crazy. So, so where are you playing these gigs? Mostly Milwaukee area or all over? Yeah, mostly Milwaukee. Um, yeah, we've won a bunch of awards for being like the top wedding string quartet in mm -hmm. the Wisconsin area. Um, majority of them are in Milwaukee and surrounding area, but occasionally Chicago, they'll ask for a, a group down there or the furthest up North was in Door County. We drove, that's a whole nother story, mm -hmm. but yeah, driving several hours, that was probably like four and a half hours each way for a gig in one day. That wasn't feasible. I should have asked for a hotel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you go, well, live and learn with all of these things, right? But uh, that's that's so cool, and the, and the members are basically interchangeable. So you, um, and I'm I'm aware of this because I've worked with you. But um, but you have like the same book that that all the members play out of, correct? Yeah. So that's actually like one of the things that I work with some of my private students on is like, in order to get gigs, like each gig has its own nuances. Like each persona, like a bride or groom, has different requirements for what they want musically. And so in order to be able to serve them, you have to have a product that people want. So when I designed this string quartet, quote unquote, product, I realized that people were asking for very similar pieces like Canon and D, 
or on the modern side, you know, a thousand years for um, mm-hmm. by Christina Perry to walk down the aisle to. And so that essentially developed a product. And once I had this idea in my head that this is the product that I'm selling, how can I replicate that and have other people fulfill my product for me? And that's why we have books. That's why it's all standardized and a whole system for organizing things and make sure everybody shows up on time, has the set list, and gets paid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really, really cool. And, and, so, and how long have you been running Dream City Strings now? Um, so the idea happened in 2015. So I, it's probably actually a six-year anniversary like this month. Nice. Yeah. How exciting. And like you grew really, really fast, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you get the word out? Was it word of mouth or was it uh, advertising? Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's a good question. So pre-COVID, we did 150 plus gigs in a year which represented like just under a quarter of a million dollars in bookings. And I know for most musicians, like that's a huge question mark. How the heck do you get from like, Mm -hmm. oh, we just played one gig this month. How do you get from that to like 10, 20 gigs every single month? And ultimately like my journey, it it wasn't always easy. Like Mm -hmm. it it didn't start out that way. Mm -hmm. I was facing the same exact questions like, I have this string quartet. I've got four amazing players. How the heck do we get gigs and pay our grad school tuition with it? And when I started, we, we had no gigs. We, I was like asking my teachers, what do I do? I want to play more. And, and they're like, well, find somebody else who's playing and just try to get on their sub list. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, that's not going to work <laughs> for me. So I realized I had to start asking other people. I had to start asking different questions. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, So I went down the path of, like, I actually reached out to the business school at UWM and started to get a little bit of mentorship there. They recommended marketing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, what the heck is marketing? Like, Mm -hmm. I know music theory. I know music history. Mm -hmm. Marketing is a (laughs) – we don't touch that as musicians, right? Mm -hmm. But that was wrong. Right. We have to touch marketing. In fact, the only way to actually get the word out there is by doing marketing, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And so that's when I took some courses. I did some, um, read a lot of books. I love books. Mm-hmm. Um, purchased a lot of like online trainings and personal coachings on marketing and sales. And then I developed a whole marketing strategy that has a lot of different components to it. When I first started, it was like, one, I had to decide who was my customer Mm-hmm. which I mentioned earlier, but for me, it was like weddings. Okay, I'm going to go after this specific type of person. Uh, typically, the person who does the the bookings is the bride. Mm-hmm. So I had to come up with a persona for this bride, and we call her bride-to-be Beth. Mm-hmm. And so once w- I decided that, then it was like, well, where is Beth looking for all of the other services that she's going to hire for her wedding? And, you know, the very first win that I had, the first gig that I had was after I found this directory website called Mm weddingwire.com. And I was like, oh, they sell, like, this is where all the venues are listing so that bride-to-be Beth can book her venue. She's finding her caterers here. She's Mm -hmm. finding her florists. Oh, and there's also a musician section. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So I'll just pay whatever it is, like 50 bucks a month. If I get one gig out of it, it'll pay off. Mm -hmm. And so I did that, and that was how we got our first gig. Awesome. That's awesome. And are you still a part of that, what is it, Wedding Wire? Um, yes, yeah. WeddingWire.com. We are still a part of it, and awesome. we do pay for, like, the highest tier now. Yeah, yeah. So the wedding listings has been helpful for you, yeah. Yeah, that's, one of the, that's probably one of the biggest components. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I've been teaching a lot lately, so being listed in these directories costs money. Mm-hmm. And most musicians, when we first start out, well, when I started out, I didn't have money to spend on it. And so that was already a stretch. I didn't didn't want to eat ramen in grad school. And so that was really scary for me to pull out my credit card and say, I hope this works and I hope I make it back. But there's cheaper ways to do this when you're first getting started. And one of the big ways I do that right now is by teaching other musicians how to build relationships and partnerships with the private event venues and uh, caterers and event planners. So how do I introduce myself to them? 
get them to identify, oh, I've got this couple who's coming in that they, you know, he played violin when he was in fourth grade. Music is important to him. Mm -hmm. I'm going to think of Dream City Strings when, Mm -hmm. when we're planning their wedding. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, just just being on, you know, front of mind for people um, as best as you can is, is, I mean, yeah, very important, as you were just saying. And then also, I mean, I was just going to bring this up, too. And I don't know if you've come across this and, and maybe you'll speak on it more as we get to get into your next project. But, um, you know, just I think there's this real sense in, in musicians that um, that, they, you know, we we should only do things that are for free. Or, um, you know, we, we don't want to really pay money for, for training or, um, I don't know, for, for continuing education um, at certain levels because because um, we shouldn't need to. Um, there's, I, you know, do you know what I mean? Um, there's sometimes a resistance to, to paying money for, um, for helping yourself out. Um, when in every other industry, that's what people do. And... I I don't know I'm I'm trying I and it took me a while to get to that point too to like be willing to pay money for for music things mm-hmm. <laughs> and once I graduated college I was like all right I already paid a ton of money for college so I can't I can't afford to put more money in um, but that is really where where the connections start is when you start putting and and also when you start taking yourself seriously is when you start putting money into your your business and I don't know and into yeah. your your work. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Absolutely. I do. So one of the, I feel like paying money for something is painful, Mm -hmm. right? Like for me, when I was in college, the budget was already super tight. Yeah. But it was also painful for me to not do something different. Mm -hmm. Like there was a very real pain of if I don't go and get myself a gig, I am not going to eat this week mm. or, you know, I'm going to survive off of ramen, which is way too high in sugar or not mm. sugar, but salt. And mm. it's not good nutrition. And also I was just super frustrated and there was real pain in knowing that everything that I was learning in the classroom was not helping me financially right then and there. Mm-hmm. And so that to me was painful enough where I was like, I am going to do whatever it takes to get out of this rut that I'm in. And I'm going to spend some money to do that. So I believe, like, I know what you're saying, that most many musicians want to start out with free things, for sure. But once it becomes painful enough that doing the free things aren't working, mm-hmm. that's when you start to realize, oh, I've, I've got to try something different. Mm-hmm. And then this, once I started doing that, once I started paying for training or paying for being listed on these sites... The crazy thing was, like, when you pay for something, you take that thing more seriously. You know, it's painful for you to lose that however many dollars a month to buy that training or or get listed on that directory. And if it's causing me more pain, I'm going to take it so seriously and figure out how do I maximize Mm -hmm. my investment and get a big return on it. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I, I learned even recently, like, how do I... If I'm paying for it, that's that's what's going to cause me to take it seriously. Yeah, you want to use it for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then I was going to ask you real quickly, um, you know, just jumping back to your college experience or your your grad school experience, did any of your um, music professors, um, once you started, you know, learning and working with the marketing kind of field, um, did they did they ever come back and say, oh, you're not doing it the right way. You know, you're doing it, you're going, you're going about it like you're going over our heads or like, you know, you're not, you're not doing it. You're not playing into it. Um, you know, uh, playing your way into the business as opposing, as opposed to paying your way into. Yes. I, I laugh because that is exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, I won't mention names because yeah. I don't want to, uh, we'll protect the innocent. Right. <laughs> but I got a lot of pushback from the professors, from even like the department heads, Mm -hmm. because I was making a living from music Mm -hmm. while I was in music school. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, There is, you know, just on a larger scale, there is the old way of doing things. There is, yeah. And one of our friends, Matt Bragstead, he's one of my private students, but he was saying, you know, like, in the old way of doing things, you're so used to listening to the the doctrine and 
essentially kissing people's butts to mm-hmm. get to the next level. But do you really have to do that? And I believe no. Mm-hmm. And I went on a journey for myself and started that string quartet while in grad school to prove myself, prove mm-hmm. to myself that I didn't have to do things the old way. Mm-hmm. And it worked for me. And then I, I started doing that for people like Matt and it's worked for him. And um, I've started at string quartets in other cities with um, help like cello player, her name is Carly, helped her start one in Buffalo, New York, mm-hmm. using the same thing that I used for Dream City. And it worked for her. And it was completely contrary to what you know our, our cello professors mm-hmm. and our guitar teachers and my conducting professor and the department heads, what they all were taught and what they believe. Mm-hmm. And so when I was spending time away from my studies in grad school, building a really sustainable music career for myself, I don't know, there, w- there was a lot of pushback. And I had to have some meetings to, like, you have to practice more. You have to, like, you should shut down your business because you need to work on your degree. And, well, I didn't. <laughs> I refused. Good for you. And, and I mean, would you say you've, you feel like you've proven them wrong? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Do you ever run into run into any of them anymore? Yeah, I mean, I still now I, I've actually gone back to UW and I've given a couple lectures mm-hmm. on the music business. So, like, while I was in the process of learning this journey and and refusing to follow their direction, that's when I got the pushback. But once I started seeing success, and then I started to get newspaper articles and things. Mm-hmm that's when they started to reach back out and say, hey, remember us? <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm, I'm happy to do that. I just gave a lecture at um, for UWM's music business class. Good. Um, and then I've actually given lectures at like MIAD, uh, Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design. Um, and I continue to get requests from like other colleges and even small arts organizations to help with some of their, their business training. Good. And and in the, in the end, if you're if you're doing something that is going to help the music community as a whole, there's really I mean, what can they say uh, to that? I mean, you're you're helping to get other people gigs and jobs, and uh, so that's there's that's amazing. That's what we need right now, and more more than ever right now. Um, and then maybe um, you know taking that point into to book life. Can you tell us how book life got started? Yeah. So book life, what most people know it as, is a tool to help book and organize your upcoming gigs. Mm-hmm. It's a software tool similar to Fonz. I know mm-hmm. that you are a member of the Fonz community. Yeah, yeah. Um, I started more for private teaching, yeah. Exactly. So BookLive is an online software tool that people use for gigs. And this started actually, it paralleled Dream City's journey. Mm-hmm. Once I figured out that the secret to booking gigs was learning marketing, all of a sudden I had a lot of gigs. Mm-hmm. And so I did what most new band leaders do is you figure it out for yourself. How do I organize all of this in a way that I don't miss a gig or I don't forget to pay somebody or show, show up to the wedding with the wrong music, right? Mm-hmm. So I used spreadsheets and I used Google Calendar and I used a lot of notes, like sticky notes and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. I actually just recently found a notebook where I had every set list for every wedding. Oh, wow. And... I'm not a paper person. I'm actually one of the most disorganized people I know, and my wife Emily will attest to that. (laughs) But I thought I had a system that worked. And so when we approached, it was like October of our second year of gigs, there, I was using my system and it was really good, like my system of spreadsheets. This is pre-book live still. And so I get to October 9th of like 2018 or something like that. And I check my Google Calendar, I check my spreadsheets, and it's a Saturday. I'm like, there's no gigs on this coming Saturday. Hey, Emily, do you want to go out on a date with me to an apple orchard? Let's go pick some apples. And she said yes. And this was like we weren't even engaged, we weren't yeah. married. And so I was excited to take her out on a date on a Saturday that I supposedly had no gigs. Mm-hmm. An hour away from Milwaukee, we drive, we go, we start picking apples, I forget the name of the orchard, somewhere in the middle of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. We get to the honey crisps, which is my favorite kind of apple, picking these apples off the tree, putting them in the bag, and all of a sudden I get a phone call. And oh, no. I see the caller ID. It's a wedding planner <gasps> that I had been working with for like a couple months. And I'm like, oh crap. I literally dropped my bag of apples, answer it, 
and I, the person on the other end of the line is like screaming, like Jared, where the hell are you? The the uh, wedding starts in ten minutes. There are no string players. I'm freaking out. The couple is freaking out. The mom of the bride is crying, and like my heart sunk. Yeah, yeah. It it was the worst feeling in the world. I was so embarrassed. I was I like literally was crying right there, and um, I, I thought Emily was gonna break up with me. <laughs> So I tried everything. I, I got on my phone. I, I, I apologized to this wedding planner. I said, let me try to get you some string players. I literally called every string player I knew in Milwaukee saying, can you get to the Schlitz Audubon in 10 yeah. minutes? And Schlitz Audubon is about 20 minutes away from Milwaukee. Yeah. Nobody could go. It, there was nothing I could do. I felt like backed into a corner. And so I, I called the DJ. Uh, luckily, the DJ is one of my friends. I said, hey, get, um, I screwed up real bad could you play some music for the ceremony and I'll, I'll deal with the fallout of this after yeah. the wedding. So he said yes and helped me out with that. And um, I later called the wedding planner, called the bride, called the, everyone, apologized, gave them a refund and then paid for their DJ just because yeah. I felt so bad about it. Like I took a huge financial right. loss just because I wanted to make sure they felt like, I don't know, that their voices were heard and yeah. that I did feel bad. And so that was really crappy. But after I, like, got over it, I started to think, how could I prevent that from happening again? Because yeah. I thought I had a really good system with my spreadsheets and Google Calendar. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. um, and so I had to run a piano competition as part of my, like, grad school responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And so this happened right after I missed that gig and I noticed at this piano competition they were using a software tool. I don't remember what it was, but the software tool was organizing like, hey, this competitor is going to this venue at this date, this time. Here's the piece they're playing. And I was like, wait, this is a software tool built for gigs essentially. Mm -hmm. And I had this moment of inspiration. Like I could build something like this. Like I forgot to mention, I'm also like a, a tech nerd. So I, I'm mm -hmm. a software developer too. And I was like, I could build something like this, not for piano competitions, but for private events, where I would incorporate all of those different pieces, those tools that I'd been using. Like, um, I was using DocuSign for mm -hmm. contracts. I was doing a separate credit card processor. Then it all went in my spreadsheet, my Google Calendar. I could combine all those together in a way that if I was about to miss a gig, it would yell at me mm -hmm. and prevent me from like living another embarrassing mm -hmm. day like that. And so I did that. And this was probably another reason why, like, all of my teachers were pissed at me mm -hmm. was because I was pulling all-nighters coding this software tool. <laughs> and the first version of it was pretty ugly. It didn't look good. But I remember just feeling this amazingly magical feeling the first time I had this gig that I needed to schedule. And I hit one button, and it shot out emails and text messages to my entire roster with the date, time, venue, pay, what type of gig it was. Nice. And then getting the first message back saying, Paul Sikulski just responded yes to this gig. He's locked in. Nice. And I was like, holy crap, what did I just do? Yeah. And so that is what Book Live has done for me. And then as soon as, like, we polished it, we made it look better. And other musicians who I've helped get their groups off the ground, they started to, like, struggle with the same organizational problems I did. And I was like, do you just want to try what I built for my group? And they were like, heck yeah. So I let them try it. It worked the same exact for them. Mm -hmm. And so it let them not have to focus so much on the administration side, but they could spend more of their efforts on the marketing side, which the marketing is, like I said before, that's the key to getting a lot of gigs and doing, uh, accomplishing your goals in music. Mm -hmm. So that is Book Live. Like, nice. Yeah. And what are you up to now with Book Live? Oh, like what's next on the docket? Yeah, what have you? So it's it's now it, it has grown from being just for you and your gigs for mm -hmm. Dream City Strings to, I mean now it's available for other people. Yeah, um, currently it's being used by over two thousand musicians across the country, and we actually just had our first Canadian group sign up. Nice. And it's being used not just by string quartets, but cover bands. Like there's this cover band called the Shirts and Skins based in Minneapolis, who I really want to get to at some point. Mm -hmm. COVID had made that really hard to make the trip mm -hmm. out there. Um, but yeah, so cover bands, jazz trios, um, even original music projects are using it now mm -hmm. because if they have a lot of gigs, it 
helps them reduce the the stress on that. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what we're doing is we're just trying to get the work. We're, we're focusing on the marketing of mm-hmm. Book Live, so that we could help more musicians take uh, take the load off of their plate. So they could focus more on the marketing and playing more music. Yeah, and this is very much for, I mean, would you say like the self-driven musicians who don't, I mean, or how would you, what kind of demographic of musician? So the majority of the people that have signed up are band leaders. Mm -hmm. Typically it is bands. It's more than just a solo project. Um, because band leaders feel the pain of having to schedule multiple people. Sure, to organize everyone, yeah. Yeah, and it it has been typically the more entrepreneurial musician. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, like, I, I found this fascinating and awesome. It's actually been primarily female-driven. Um, a lot of the string quartet leaders that have come to me, they're, they're, they've been in this business for a while, and they understand that marketing is the key. So they have enough gigs where it's painful enough that they need a tool to relieve that pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really, really awesome. And then, um, and then you, you've now kind of blossomed into doing these class, classes through Book Live as well. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Book Live typically works really well if you already have a lot of gigs. Mm-hmm. And there's only a small segment of the musician population who would say they have enough gigs. Mm-hmm. And so the real problem then is that how can we help musicians get more gigs? We've thought about doing like the whole booking agency thing, but that isn't really a scalable business model for us, nor do we feel that that's the way, like that's not really our mission. Is Our mission is more to help independent musicians mm-hmm. really have the skills and confidence to accomplish their music goals. And so these classes that we've launched, even they start from the very beginning of like, how do I create a product that I can sell? And I'm not talking product as in like, uh, you know, a box of paper clips mm-hmm. that you can buy on Amazon. I'm talking about a musical product, a performance that somebody can book you for that will earn you enough income to be able to make a living as a musician. So how do I do that? And then it also teaches you how do I market that? And then once we have basically helped you create a sustainable business for yourself. Then your problem becomes, oh, how do I organize all of these gigs? And then that's where we introduce Book Live as the tool to help you solve the new problem that you've just created for yourself. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure, for sure. That's awesome. And um, where can people find out more information on Book Live? So they can go to booklive.com. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have Facebook, mm-hmm. um we don't really keep our Twitter that active, but we got Facebook and Instagram. And you can join our, we've got a gigging musicians Facebook group where it's band leaders talking about, you know, how do we market ourselves or can somebody check out my website, give me some pointers. And it, the discussion there is very much focused on the gigs that we either want or the gigs that we've mm-hmm. played. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, check that out. It's the gigging musicians Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Can I ask you a couple of fun questions that I think are kind of fun questions? But so you've done a million weddings, probably, or you know, loosely, <laughs> <laughs> more or less. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, we've we've talked about this just um, you know on on our own time. But I and I've done a lot of private gig playing myself on piano, and but I I, I don't like weddings. I don't like you know. I personally like to run from them like the plague unless um, they're for like someone that I really like or, you know, family, whatever. And even then, even then it takes a lot for me to want to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, but you love doing this. And like, what is it about weddings that like makes it fun for you? That's a good question. I really love creating the soundtrack to somebody's best day. Yeah. Like I... I don't know. I'm 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 a romantic too, <laughs> so, you know, uh, Emily and and me when we got married, which she stayed with me. She didn't break up with me after <laughs> I missed that gig. That's a keeper then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the first thing that we did was we hired our my own string quartet mm-hmm. to play, mm-hmm. and it's because music has always been so important to both of us, and I just love giving that gift to other people. Mm-hmm. I think it's the most authentic way to kick off a marriage through, yeah. through live music. Yeah, for sure. For me, it was, um, I think, you know, and this is, I guess, just a conversation we can have here on the podcast is um, brides and grooms typically, I mean, they're not 
professionally um, planners, you know? So how do you work with them? Um, you know, that, that was the issue I was running into. I would get really frustrated with people for just overspending time with them or, or them not understanding how musicians really work or that they don't need to be there for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the demands that they would ask of, um, you know, and, and what that would actually translate into uh, financially would not always be in alignment. And, and then the, under, the lack of understanding of what musicians really do uh, was almost never there. So yeah. um, how do you educate or how do you, how do you work with that? It's a good question. I have a couple things that I can share now, but for more yes, like information, more information, <laughs> more information like we could do one-on-one training. Yes, or, yeah. But um, you you mentioned a good good point that like the people that I'm working with on a day daily basis are not musicians, mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily that they want to screw over the musicians. Mm-hmm. It's just that they they legit don't know. Mm-hmm. They have no idea. So there are a couple of tools that I've either found or created that have helped me set boundaries mm-hmm. and also clearly communicate what they're getting with their dollar. Mm-hmm. And actually one of the big ones, I, I just I also run a podcast, the Gigging mm-hmm. Musician podcast. One of my recent episodes talks about a tool called the offer stack, which, you know, the problem is, like you said, these brides and grooms have no idea what they're getting for their their money. Mm-hmm. And as a result, when we throw out our number to them, like, hey, this costs five hundred bucks for a gig then they're like, oh, my God, 500 I, I was expecting to pay 100 bucks max. Mm-hmm. And then we feel, like, completely invalidated. Like, I, did I not get, get two degrees to play? Mm-hmm. So the offer stack is a tool that helps communicate that. And what it is is if you imagine, like, a list of everything that they get once they book you. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, like, they get my time. I'm, I'm there for probably three hours for their one-hour performance. Mm-hmm. Each hour of mine is valued at $150, so that's already $450 worth of value. I'm also bringing my equipment, which my violin alone is, uh, you know, several thousands of dollars, (laughs) and I keep it maintained. So that's essentially priceless. You're getting this instrument with history. And then I'm also spending an hour or so consulting with you, which, again, my time is valuable, and it's valued at. $150 Mm -hmm. an hour and we're adding up all of these dollar amounts together and by the end I've built up this offer stack that's worth literally 10 times the amount that they're paying so if it's a $500 gig I'll say like you're getting over $5,000 worth of value for just $500 Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden they're like oh that's that's a great deal Mm -hmm. like I'm sorry I questioned you and said $100 yeah so that's that's one tool the other tool that you mentioned was like it takes way too much time to actually like work with these couples. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was the same when I was back in grad school. Before I had mm-hmm. the tools that I, I created, I would spend hours on the phone with them. Mm-hmm. I would do emails late at night saying, oh, you don't want Canon and D? How about these four suggestions? Mm-hmm. And I couldn't do that, especially with like my grad, right. my recital. I needed to spend time practicing. So that was actually one of the first things that I did in the BookLive software was create a client portal similar to how Fonz has a portal for mm-hmm. the students. But in this client portal, I provide the couple with my song list, and it allows them to drag and drop songs into the different parts of their wedding ceremony. Nice. And so that literally cut off, like, hours of emails and phone calls. Yeah, yeah, that's smart. Yeah, I think I ended up, um, like, buying a collection of piano music from the O'Neill Brothers. I don't know if you've heard of them at all. Mm-mm. But they do a ton of wedding piano music. And I just worked off of their list, and I said, this is what I use. <laughs> they have everything from reception music to ceremony music to all sorts of ceremony options. Pick from here. Because I've got tired of, you know, going yeah. back and forth. But, yeah, that's a much better solution with even better options for sure. But, yeah, it's, it's it can be very tedious. And um, and it wasn't ever a goal of mine to, like, pursue wedding playing, right. you know, at the, at the level that you are. So I never wanted to put the time into organizing it that, that way. So I just stopped, stopped <laughs> being <laughs> willing to do it. So I give you all the credit in the world for learning how to, to like, master this art and everything. So the, the fun questions I wanted to get to are what has been um, the most the craziest wedding tune you've ever played for a gig? So we once did All of the Lights by Kanye West, which... (laughs) On Strings. On Strings, which is a great song. 
the coolest part was the groom surprised his bride by actually rapping over wow. the strings. What? So that to me sticks out. Wow. Like, Where like, was that at? That was at the Hilton City Center in downtown Milwaukee. Nice. That's awesome. I bet it sounded amazing, too. It was so cool. I got to get that video from the, the yeah. videographer. Wow. And what is the, I mean, I could guess this, but what is the most overplayed, over-requested wedding tune? Um, over-requested? I don't know. So my philosophy is that whatever the couple <laughs> wants is... So pragmatic, yeah. <laughs> I have to be pragmatic because yes. they're my customer. Yes, that's true. So whatever they want works as long as it's on our list. But I will say that we play these three tunes more than any other tune. One is Can't Help Falling in Love. That actually just recently um, climbed up to spot number one this year. Hmm. Then it's A Thousand Years by Christina Perry. Thanks to the Twilight films, oh. that became the top bridal procession. Interesting. And then, of course, Canon and D. Yeah. So those poor cello players, you've probably played <laughs> way more Canon and D than you ever want to. Yeah, for sure. I was going to guess Yezu as well as um, the trumpet voluntary and things like that. Are the, Those are maybe not as, yeah. I'd say those are in the top 20 list. Yeah, okay. But I think the the taste of the modern couple is shifting away from some of those yeah. standards. And I think I do more, I, I used to do more like church gig weddings, and mm -hmm. those are more formal, and so th that makes sense. So, yeah, yours are a little bit more contemporary. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Awesome. I think the weirdest one that I ever did was Crimson and Clover. Do you know that tune? I don't. It's a weird, like, psychedelic 70s tune. Oh, I think. sweet. 70s, 80s. And um, and there again, I wish I would have had like a resource to give the bride and groom because I had like these wedding fake books, mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, you know, here's a here's a, a a book that you can just look through and you know pick some things out, and the bride picked Crimson and Clover, and it was such a strange pick, and she picked it for like her recessional. Oh. And if you know this song, like, look it up sometime. I'll send it to you. It is the weirdest song you would ever expect to hear, in a, especially in this ceremony. Like, this this fake book was really designed for anything, any part of the wedding. You know, reception, mostly, mostly <laughs> reception. A couple of the the, the things in there are for the, the ceremony, but... That was strange. Yeah. And I think when I started playing it, everyone around me was like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she picked it. <laughs> yeah. It makes her happy. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> and that's what the day is all about. Yeah, yeah. And then I just have a couple last questions for you. Uh, what is one of the biggest lessons you've learned along the way? Aside from musicians need to learn marketing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that and, and besides don't miss a gig. Which I, I want to say thank you for um, talking about that so candidly because, um, you know, and I've had experiences like that too where you just do like something just totally crazy happens and you end up doing damage control. But if you handle it as well as you did and you overcompensate for the, the issues and you learn and you grow from that, like you can really turn things around and, mm -hmm. and it seems like you have. Uh, so thanks for sharing so so much on that. But yeah, what other lessons have uh, would you say are big ones that you've learned along the way? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'd say one of the biggest ones is learn to appreciate the people who have helped you get there. So, you know, I've I've worked with lots of people. You know, I've, I've worked with, right now. I have like fifty string musicians in Wisconsin that play for me, and I love getting to play with them because it's like. I get to catch up with them, mm -hmm. and they have contributed to building this thing just as much as I have. Same for, you know, even though I joke about my professors not teaching me what I needed to be taught, you know, they supported me in the time that I was starting this. Emily, my girlfriend, she has supported me, not, she's not my girlfriend anymore, but <laughs> she, she has supported me in this business ever since I started it, yeah. whether being like, somebody to encourage me or somebody literally to console me when I cried when I missed that gig. Mm -hmm. um, and then people like you, mm -hmm. you know, you've 
been there since pretty early on in book lives journey and just you being around and working with me that's been incredibly valuable yeah and back at you too for my own things yeah so thank you for sure yeah yeah good good point um remember the people who helped you get where you're at yeah Mm -hmm. for sure i totally agree with that um and reach out to them and 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 remember to to help them along the way too with, with what they're doing and um and I think, you know, as I, I would just add, like, as you get further along to, to never um, feel like you've got you've, you've grown past them or grown away from them, um, mm-hmm. because that will they'll continue to stay like some of your truest fans and, right. and um, believers in you if, if you stay true to them. Yeah. And uh, do you have um, any advice you'd give to up and coming musicians right now? That's a good question. The thing is, every musician's goals are differently. I would just, the advice I would give you is, bringing it back to what I said at the beginning, is that I believe in you. Like, no matter where you are in your career, I believe that you right now have the talent and the ability to accomplish your goals. The advice I would give you is, think a little bit differently about how you're gonna accomplish those goals. Start to think about the marketing the how do I get the word out there about this? And marketing could be as simple as like, you know, right now what, what Allison, what you're doing is you're creating a podcast. That's marketing. That's getting the word out there about your mission and Wisconsin Music Ventures mission. For the musicians out there, is there content that you can be putting out about your journey that can let people in on the secret before you release what you're trying to sell them? Mm-hmm. Can you create a podcast? Can you do a live video? Can you, I don't know, even just type up a Facebook post saying, hey, we spent X amount of time in the studio today, super excited to l- launch this album in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. So think about that earlier on than you probably already are thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I don't want to keep jumping in with input or anything, but um, I and it, one thing I've seen, and I would just share to expound on that, is marketing that is, is maybe helpful to people, um, not just, I, I think what I see a lot of musicians do, um, sorry, that's kind of the role I like to play is like a devil's advocate role or something, <laughs> um, but like a lot, I, I tend to see a lot of musicians um, kind of, you know, glorify themselves in, in marketing, mm-hmm. but, and you can do that maybe a little bit, but be, be helpful, be like of service to your fellow musicians and how you market as well. And then that will bring people back to your to your what you're doing, what your business or your music or, um, you know, whatever your page is is doing, because if you're if you're just constantly putting your your selfies out there, that's not really offering anything. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Would you agree with that? One hundred percent. Yeah. I'll tell you a very quick story. Yeah, Go for it. Um, So another one of my students, you know him, Mike Newmeyer. Yeah. Yeah. He is a Milwaukee based composer and four mallet marimba player and vibraphone extraordinaire. And one of his goals when we started working together was to help him get more sales of his sheet music. Because, you know, he didn't want to rely on a publisher taking over 50% of his, um, whatever he makes off of every sheet music sale. And so it was a marketing problem. And the very first thing that we did, which he just launched this past weekend, was we created a way for him to help others by giving them a free piece of sheet music, which sounds kind of counterintuitive. We want to get him sales of sheet music, but instead here we are giving away a piece of sheet Mm -hmm. music for free in exchange for their email address. Mm -hmm. So we're helping people out by giving them a taste of what's to come. It's kind of like a free sample at Costco. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden we've now built a little bit of loyalty. They're like, oh my gosh, thank you so much, Mike. This is amazing. I'm really interested in buying another piece of sheet music. Mm -hmm. So it's about building those relationships. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's very, very smart. Yeah. Is there anything else that we didn't cover in this that you would like to talk about? Um, I don't think so. I think you covered a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Great job. Well, thank you so much, Jared, for being here today. And um, any other websites or um, places you'd like to direct people to check out for you? Um, So... I run a podcast called The Gigging Musician. You can find that on Spotify, Apple Music, Stitcher, your favorite po- mm-hmm. podcasting platform. Um, 
Dream City Music if you're mm -hmm. looking for wedding music in the southeast Wisconsin area. Yeah. And then booklive.com. Just come find me on Facebook, Instagram. Just uh, reach out. I'm always happy to help local musicians. And you'll be seeing me at some of the Wisconsin Music Ventures yeah. events. So yeah. So I'm really excited to work with you, Allison. Yeah, awesome. Yes, Jared has, has been a friend for the last several years now, I think, and is going to be helping out with some of our own projects. So I'm extra glad to have him in the studio. So thank you, Jared. My pleasure. Great to talk with you today. You too. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you'll leave ratings and reviews for us wherever you're listening from. Visit themusiciansventure.com for more information on upcoming guests, show notes, and ways to send us your topic suggestions. The Musicians Venture podcast is hosted by Allison M., recorded at Podcast Town in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music written and performed by Mike Neumeyer. Thanks again. <laughs>